No. Waiting on you. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, come on in, please. Have a seat. This class is Profiles from Acts, Men and Women Who Shaped the Early Church. So far, we have looked at Peter, and we have looked at Paul, and this morning we're going to look at the Apostle John. Before we begin, let's pause for a moment and ask the blessing of the Holy Spirit given to us to remind us of all that Jesus said and did. Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, we welcome you. We acknowledge your presence in our minds and in our hearts. May all that is important to God about us be yielded to you. And as we seek understanding, help us to do so only as we venture towards faith. We pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a pastor acquaintance who received a remarkable prophetic gift, prophetic word, from someone in his congregation. It was given by the Holy Spirit to a lady in his church who did not understand what it meant, but she knew that she had to give it to her pastor. And so the words came to her, she went to her pastor, and she said, Pastor, God spoke to me about you, and I don't know what this means, but I am supposed to tell you this. You remind me of John. You are always there. You remind me of John, said the Lord Jesus to this pastor. You are always there. Now, I've known this pastor for some time and can tell you that he's a good and godly man, but not exactly one of these men that you have to run out and build new buildings for to accommodate a growing church. He's okay in the pulpit. He's okay at the, behind a lectern. I guess he's a decent counselor and a decent church administrator. But he's not one of these men that excelled and stood out in any way except he had a remarkable ministry of presence. If someone in his congregation was hurting, he was there. If someone in his congregation was troubled, he was there. If the Holy Spirit was moving in some portion of the life of his church, he was there. In times of joy and celebration, he was there. In times of bereavement, he was there. In times of the need for counsel, he was there, accessible, present. And his church loved him for his ministry of presence. And so it did not surprise me at all when this prophetic gift came to this member of his congregation, who in turn repeated it to him, the Lord Jesus saying to my friend, you remind me of John. You are always there. 
Now this morning, as we turn to the Acts of the Apostles, and we see this early pairing of the Apostle Peter with the Apostle John, about all we can say about John is that John was there. Because in Scripture, every time Peter and John get together for some project, Peter does all the talking. John ushers, utters not a word here in Acts 3 and 4. He utters not another word when they're paired again in Acts 8. He is simply present, almost in a secondary role, almost in a submissive role, almost in a behind-the-scenes supporting role, but John is there, very much in character, even after the ascension of our Lord. For John was there with Jesus when Jesus went into the bedroom of Jairus' daughter and raised her from the dead. John, along with Peter and James, was there on the Mount of Transfiguration, alluded to this morning in Scripture. John was there at Gethsemane when Jesus was pouring out his heart to the Father about the cross he was to face. John was there. When Jesus hung on the cross and he spake about the care of his beloved mother after his death, John was there. When word came of an empty tomb, John ran to the tomb. And here this morning with Peter, and repeated later in the Acts of the Apostles, John was there. Now we don't know just why he's such a silent partner here. Perhaps Peter was just rather bold and loquacious and, and uh, had an authoritative personality and took over and didn't give John a chance to talk. Perhaps it was because John, who we think was a young man at this stage in his life, was, uh, was a good listener and he was, he was salting all of this away so that later when it came time to write his gospel, he would remember clearly. Or perhaps it's because the first gospel, the gospel of Mark, was written by the man who was the amuensis for Peter. Mark wrote down the life of Peter as Luke wrote down the life of Paul. And perhaps when Mark pulled together all of that biography, he was naturally prejudiced to the one about whom he was mostly writing from the apostles. But the fact remains is, in this narrative this morning in Acts 3 and 4, and later in another pairing between John and Peter, Acts 8, John has no spoken part. Peter does all the talking. We might say that if John had a ministry here, he had a ministry of presence. It is not good for man to be alone. Somebody said that somewhere early in the Bible. Somebody said that the human creature fashioned in the image of God does not do well alone. There is a fulfillment in the company of another. Misery loves company because misery needs company. It is not good to sorrow alone. It is not good to celebrate alone. 
It is not good to eat alone. It is not good only to worship alone. Mankind, created in the image of God, is an egregious, egregious animal, which means that he flocks together and herds together with his own kind because he has been made like that by his creator. It is no wonder, then, that we speak of Jesus in his incarnation uh, being the ultimate ministry of presence as Emmanuel, which means God with us. It is at the very heart of the Christian faith that God is with us. In every other major world religion, the, the thematic dynamic is that men and women become, become good so they can claw their way up to God. But in Christianity, a good God claws his way down to man. Because in his own heart is that, is that understanding that man and men and women require the company of presence others created in the image and in the spirit of God. Sometimes, very presence speaks louder than words. Sometimes, presence is the most profound witness. You remember Job and all that he lost? And his friends heard about it, and his friends came. And the friends actually kind of go through a, a, a two-part uh, uh, ministry to, to Job, and they had it just right the first half. They came, and they sat on the ground, and they shut up, and they hurt with their friends. They came some distance, probably at some cost, probably at some sacrifice, probably at some rescheduling of, of commitments they had made earlier. They moved their bodies from one place to the place where their hurting friend was, and they stepped into his pain silently. There was no word spoken. There were no debates. There were no corrections. There were no solutions offered. There was no philosophizing. There was no theologi theologizing. They just were present. And then they just couldn't stand it anymore. And they had to start arguing with Job about why he was suffering all this trouble. And Job goes from bad to worse. He goes from being at peace in his suffering in the company of his friends to having to defend himself against their accusations and their charges. And they just blew out of the water this wonderful, wonderful gift that they had given Job by simply showing up and being there. Have you ever hurt so badly that you wanted someone just to proverbially sit on the ground and hurt with you? Have you ever lost to the point that you could not bear it by yourself? Have you ever been shamed? Have you ever been guilted? Have you ever failed? Have you ever sinned? Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever just fallen so flat on your face that it hurt so bad? You just wanted someone in the room with you. You didn't need answers. You didn't need arguments. You didn't need any prayers. And you didn't need any scriptures. 
You just wanted another human being who might understand just a pinch of what you were going through. Because in someone else knowing about it, the healing would begin in you. Someone else being present to share the pain would further your own recuperation from the pain. So, for the Lord Jesus to send a message to this pastor, you remind me of John. You are always there. Would speak to me very highly in terms of the Lord's evaluation of this individual. Can you think of people in your own life who, when you were hurting, stopped everything and came? Can you think of your own life within a a church congregation in which there was some loss or some tragedy and the church rose up and the church came? It is one of the fundamental tenets of ministry that one who seeks to represent the love of God be present in times of crisis, if at all possible. Not with any solutions, not with any arguments, not beating the people over the head with the Bible, not being high and lifted up and religious above their own pain, but simply to get up and go. Many times in my own uh, efforts to try to represent the church in, in congregations, uh, I can recall times in which uh, I didn't want to go. The phone would ring, I'm right in the middle of my supper, and I'm thinking, doggone it, couldn't they call 20 minutes later? Uh, But 20 minutes later was 20 minutes too late, and it was time simply to go. Many times I've had the privilege of being in circumstances of great personal pain and loss, with nothing that could be said. I don't have an answer to you why this happened. I can't tell you this is going to get any better. I can't tell you your spouse is going to come back. I can't tell you your kid's going to get off drugs. I can't tell you you're going to get your job back. I don't know. But I am here because I care about you and your church cares about you and your God cares about you. And if there's anything I can do for you, I can simply be here. So for John to have a ministry of presence and for this pastor friend to have a ministry of presence is, I think, would be an encouraging word to all of us when times of human crisis come and you don't know what to do. There is always one thing you can do. You can put on your coat, you can put on your hat, you can get in your car, You can go to where the pain is, and you can say, I don't have any answers, but you're hurting, and I want some of that hurt. I want a share of it to make your hurt a lighter load, and I am here for you. When I was in seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, back in the um, early 70s, I was assigned a a pastor from the community who would be something of a mentor to me, and he was very good about giving me opportunities to participate in certain pastoral care situations for the first time. And while I was under his mentorship, uh, he, he called me one evening and said, uh, there's been a death in our church, and I need to go. Would you go with me? I'd never done anything like that before. Said, yeah, I'll go. So we made arrangements, met, drove in his car to the place. We even got there before the... Uh, 
undertaker, so the body was, was, was still there, and all this was brand, man, brand new to me. Uh, <clears throat> and I remember standing there and feeling so helpless and so untrained and so unlearned, and people were scurrying all about me, and, and I thought, well, I'm in over my head here. This was a good experience, but I haven't contributed anything at all here. I have not known what to do. A couple of Sundays later, uh, after the funeral, uh, in church, the man whose wife had died sought me out in the congregation, and he said, you came to my house the night my wife died, didn't you? I said, yes, sir, I, I did. He said, thank you so much for being there. I did nothing. I just stood there. But in standing there was a representation of a larger love uh, pointing back to the congregation and then, of course, to the God of that congregation. So this matter of just being there, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, uh, teaching them all that I have taught you, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. This matter of a God who loves us, being with us, and not abandoning us, is a key tenet of Christian theology. Unlike deists, who believed, like, say, Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Jefferson, who believed that God came down, created the universe, wound up this clock, got it ticking and in motion, and then he abandoned us and left us to run things on our own. Christian theology teaches us that we always are in the presence of God himself through the Holy Spirit representing his lordship uh, and his love in our lives. So does it make sense then that if that's how God treats us, there would be those of us who are called to simply a ministry of presence. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. You can't fix it. But you can be there. I would suggest to you that simply being there is one of the most powerful of all ministries that anyone could, uh, could offer. Um, <clears throat> well, John has no spoken part here in, in this uh, encounter with the religious leaders. I, I, I'm looking at Acts 3 and 4, where we have the record of Peter and John. After the first Christian sermon is preached, this is right after Pentecost, Peter and John are... Uh, in the temple courtyards, and they are preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus and the uh, religious authorities, uh, jealous and frightened by this show of authority from men who are uh, unlearned, unlearned, Scripture says, and uh, uneducated, uh, ha have them arrested and pulled before uh, a rather high-ranking committee of um, of Jewish leaders to give account for whose name they are preaching in. They've actually performed a great miracle here, but Peter has the spoken part. As they go into the gate called Beautiful, there's a beggar laying there who's asking for alms. Uh, and uh, P 
Peter turns and looks at him and says to the beggar, Look at me, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto you. I say, you know, stand up and walk. And Peter reaches out his right hand and lifts the man up, and the man goes leaping and dancing with him into the temple and causes quite a spur, a stir. But Peter is the spokesperson. Let me pose a hypothetical question. Could Peter have done that without John's presence? What did Jesus say? Where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. If any two of you agree together on any one thing and request it, it shall be granted of you. Peter gets the glory here for the speaking lines. But do you think he would have had that authority without the presence of his silent partner? I'm impressed with the fact that, that James, I mean that John, right along with Peter, is, is hauled up in front of uh, Annas and, and Caiaphas. Um, Annas had been the high priest of, of Jerusalem. He had five sons, and he had quite a system going because all five of his sons got to be high priests. And then he had a son-in-law. The son-in-law was Caiaphas. And Caiaphas served as high priest longer than all the rest of them, something like 18 years. And I have a Caiaphas story. If you'll remind me not to chase this rabbit trail indefinitely, but I've got to tell you my Caiaphas story. When I was pastoring in the Maryland suburbs of Washington, D.C., uh, the Israeli National Museum loaned the Smithsonian two of its most recent biblical artifacts. One was a little golden pomegranate, which they thought at that time came from Solomon's temple. They don't think that now. But the second thing was, was an, a limestone ossuary. Now, an ossuary is a bone box. After a corpse was put into a, a, a cave to decay over a period of time, and some family member would go in and collect the bones and put the family bones together in a box. The Bible talks being, about being gathered to your fathers. That may be what that means. Your bones are gathered up and put down into a box with those who have gone before you. And etched on the side of this ossuary, on loan to the Smithsonian from the Israeli government, was the word Caiaphas. And by good biblical authority, it remains believed that this was the ossuary which held the actual bones of Caiaphas and his family. Now, when I saw it in the Smithsonian, it was behind bulletproof glass. There was an armed guard standing by it, and I walked through in a line and got to look at it for a few seconds before I, I walked out. A couple of years later, I went back to Israel myself with a group, we always try to stop at the Israeli National Museum, and we did one day. And I kind of cut the group loose just to wander around the, the museum on its own because there were some places in the museum that I myself had never explored. So I leave my group, and I take off down this long corridor, and there are twists and turns, and I get way in the back of the Israeli National Museum, and I find myself in an area where they are putting together a display. Now, there are no guards. As far as I could tell, there were no cameras. There were no other tourists. I was the only person in that room. And sitting right there on a table in front of me 
was the same ossuary I had seen at the Smithsonian Institute behind bulletproof glass. Nothing in between me and the box that held Caiaphas's bones. I walked over to it and I put my hands all over it. I ran my hands on the outside to feel the etchings. I put my hands down on the inside because I wanted them to be where the bones of Caiaphas had been. And then I stepped back and with a smirk and I said, Caiaphas, you can't put your hands where Jesus' bones went. (laughs) I know what happened to you. But that's my Caiaphas story. I've actually had my hands inside the bone box that held the bones of Caiaphas and his family. Well, Caiaphas remains to us a very powerful figure in biblical history. And here's Peter, who seemed to have a combative personality. Here is John, that we think may have been the beloved disciple of Jesus, and seems to have had a softer side. And John, the soft one, and Peter, the the argumentative one, side by side in front of Caiaphas and Annas. And where had Caiaphas and Annas been side by side not too long before? In the trial of Jesus Christ. So they are actually following in the footsteps of their Lord, except this time neither one of them is alone. And Peter, the debater, is, 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 is augmented in his own authority by John, the beloved one, who apparently had a softer side. And I raise that question again. If John had not been there, would Peter have been able to lift up the lame man from the gate beautiful Would he have been able to stand his ground in the face of Caiaphas and Annas the way he did? Would they have been such a constructive, influential force if not for the ministry of presence from John? If you had interviewed John uh, post facto here, he might have felt like I felt at that house where the lady had just died. I'm in the way here. I'm not doing anything. I don't know how to comfort this bereaved husband. I don't know who to call. I don't don't know how to help. But the pastor who was mentoring, you know, went about his pastoral task as I watched. But I wonder if I had not been there, would he have in any way been able to be as as kindly and compassionate and and wise as he had done in that chosen moment? If there is a practical application of John's ministry of presence for us, I think it's this. More goes on in times of crisis and pain than can be seen by the human eye or felt by the human heart. But the Holy Spirit sees it. And the Holy Spirit hears it. And when the Holy Spirit is invited into a time of pain, rejection, aloneness, by one who moves in his name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a ministry that takes place that nobody can train for or get good at because it is God's power presented in the person of the presence 
of even the most silent partner who just shows up. I would urge you, in whatever call you may feel to be a compassionate minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, that when you hear of crisis, when you hear of human pain, when worse comes to worse, your brother and sister in Christ are just broken beyond words, broken beyond fixing. If it is possible, just go. You don't have to be eloquent. Your presence will speak for itself. All you have to say is, I heard that this is a bad time for you, and I'm sorry, and I just wanted to be with you. That's all you have to say. And I promise you, that person will remember your coming and being there more than that person will, will remember any wise words, perhaps even any scripture that you read, any sermons that you preach, any toning down of your hurt, certainly any guilt that may be felt by the person who is hurting so. If you'll just show up, go to the house, go to the funeral home, go to the jail, go to the nursing home, go wherever this person is and just being there and interrupting your life and moving your life into the presence of pain will speak volumes uh, about the Lord's presence and the Lord's caring in your own life, and you will have a ministry of caring. Can you think for a moment of who it was who came to you? I bet you can. In your time of deep hurt, pain, loss, when it hurt so bad you could almost not breathe and you felt so alone, somebody came. You remember who it was? Okay. All right. Do you remember what that person said? Do you remember that person was there? That person was there. In our understanding of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God come down. The very fact God came down. A good God working his way down rather than requiring good people to work their way up separates Christianity from every other major world religion. God with us. And so, when the call comes, and you hear it through the grapevine, there is pain out there that is almost unspeakable. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to make it go away. But if you can somehow, somehow, just show up, even for a few minutes, those whom you seek to minister to will remember your face more than they will remember your words.
John's ministry of presence in the bedroom of Jairus' daughter, top of the Mount of Transfiguration, Gethsemane, Jesus at the cross, the empty tomb of Jesus. Over and over, John is remembered not for what he said. He just went. And in one other pairing between John and Peter, John outruns Peter, right? And gets to the tomb first. Because deep in his heart, whether he knew it or not, he had been called to a ministry of presence. And not even a slow old fisherman was going to keep him from his appointment on that Easter Sunday morning. There is almost none of us who cannot join in this kind of ministry. So whether the call comes in the middle of your supper, or your television, or your vacation, working on your car, whatever, don't let the devil tell you there's nothing you can do. Don't let the devil tell you that you can't fix this. That's not what it's about. It is about sowing the seeds of love that can only be sowed when the sower is present. Stop what you are doing and just go. And if there are words that have to be spoken, God will raise up the Peters to do the talking. But Peter may be there without John. And it may be if you're not there, the power of the Holy Spirit will not be multiplied as greatly as if Peter were by himself. And those who perhaps are more comfortable in speaking will be empowered with your silent presence more than if they were there just alone. So, get this out of your head that you have to have all the answers and you have to fix it and there's nothing that you can do. John in front of Caiaphas and Annas, no less empowered Peter. John walking with Peter by the gate beautiful to raise up this, blind, this, this lame beggar was a minister of presence. And on Easter Sunday morning, he would not be denied his calling. And he was the first man at the tomb because he would not be deterred. May I offer you this suggestion? The list of spiritual gifts that we have in the New Testament are not all-inclusive. The Bible doesn't say they're all-inclusive. It just says there are spiritual gifts, some of which are prophecy and speaking in tongues and teaching and hospitality and administration, etc., etc., generosity, giving. None of those texts say that those lists are all-inclusive. You look back in the Old Testament, and there were those who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, were given the ability to build things and to sow things. Spiritual gifts, perhaps, and the singers in the temple. 
were recruited based on their God-given ability to sing. So I don't think the lifts of spiritual gifts in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, are all inclusive. Could it be maybe that sprinkled among this congregation here, this gathered class, there are those being spiritually gifted with the ministry of presence. And as a guitar string resonates by the sound of the string adjacent to it being plucked, perhaps your mere presence can pick up in resonant love the heart of the Father and empower ministry to a hurting person that would not be possible if you were not there. So, go with healing on your wings. God will bless your incarnation of his spirit in this world. God bless. Have a good week.